Hello, my name is Faria Fernandez, and the title of this sermon is One Faith. Some of you may recognize me as one of the worship leaders from the online services. I now am a trainee pastor at the Catford site, predominantly responsible for leading the worship team. A bit more about me. I am a qualified teacher and have been for the last six years. Two of those years I spent as a supply teacher. We all know that supply teaching is brutal. I remember being in school and there was one girl that when she saw we had a supply teacher, it was her aim to make them cry. So I knew, I knew it was gonna be hard, I knew it was gonna be tough going in, so I thought of some strategies. I said, I'm gonna go in, into whatever class I was going into, we were gonna play games, uh, I was gonna try and learn everyone's name, and I would let them ask me questions. And I went to many different schools all across London, and children of all ages would always ask me this question. Miss, where are you from? And before I tell you what I told them, I want you to think about it. Where are you from? I would often pull up a map on Google Maps and I would say, I am African, I am Jamaican, and I'm British. Sometimes they would look a bit perplexed. How could you be all three things? And I would explain to them, my ancestors were enslaved West Africans and were taken to Jamaica during the transatlantic slave trade. My forefathers lived in Jamaica. And in the 50s, my grandparents moved to Britain during the Windrush to help Britain rebuild after World War II. They worked in TfL, they worked in the NHS. They got married and had children and settled down. They had children, their children had children, which is who I am. I'm a second generation British person. Marcus Garvey, a 20th century Jamaican activist, has a quote and he says, a people without a knowledge of their past, their history, origin and culture is like a tree without roots. It was very important to my parents that I had a good understanding of my personal history so I could have a better understanding of my personal identity. After going to a few schools and hearing this question, where are you from? I started to realize what they were really asking was, who are you? What is your identity? Identity is important, right? And much of our identity is based on our physical beings. I'm a woman, I am black, I am British. Almost what Paul would call the flesh. Oftentimes in scripture, the flesh is referred to something as bad. So for example, Paul says, don't be led by the flesh, but be led by the spirit. But not in all cases, sometimes it's just a word to describe Again, your physical being, who you are. For example, in Philippians 3, verse four to six, Paul writes, if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, 
Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. These are what you might say Paul's key identity markers, the things that made him who he was, his physical body, his history, his family, his education, his beliefs. And I think apart from the persecuting the church part, I think Paul was proud of his Jewish identity. But if you remember what he says is that he could place his confidence in these parts of his confidence, sorry, in these parts of his identity. These could be the most important things about his identity, but they're not. See, Paul had a radical encounter with Jesus Christ that changed his whole view of what was most important about his identity. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 15 to chapter 3, verse 6, we're going to see what Paul actually thinks about where his identity comes from. It reads, We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we, too, have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if, in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also amongst the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroy, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law, that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit, you are now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain? If it really was in vain, so I ask, does God give you his spirit and works miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him, credited to him as righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Strong words from Paul. He was vexed. He just had to confront Peter for portraying himself as being more important as a Jew than the Gentiles. And now he's saying to the Gentiles, it wasn't by your flesh that you were made right with God, but by your faith in Jesus. 
It's not your flesh that matters, it's your faith that matters. Let's look at Galatians 2, um, verse 6 again, where he writes, Know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Do you remember the scripture in Philippians where he talks about all the things that make him who he is, including the regard for the law and circumcision? But again, Paul is arguing and driving home the point that it's not his flesh, but his faith and the faith in the work of Jesus Christ that has made him justified. And therefore, this is the most important part of his identity and of ours. He goes on to say in verses 19 to 21, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body or the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. I'm with James Brown when he said, say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud. I'm extremely proud of my culture, my history, my family, the difficulties that we've had to go through to be where we are now. But the core of my identity, the truest essence of who I am, cannot be found in those things. It's great. I love it. I love the music. I love the food. I love everything. Well, not everything, but I do. I love it. I'm so proud, but I can't put my absolute identity in those things. My core identity has to be rooted in my faith in Jesus Christ, who he is, the son of God, where he is from, sent from heaven to earth and what he has done. He died for my sins. The process of making faith my core identity above culture or my fleshly identity has been difficult for me. And I'm sure it's the same for many of us here. This is a picture of me and my dad. This was taken just a few weeks before he passed away. My dad was a Rasta, activist in the black community. He was so proud of his Jamaican heritage. In fact, when he would introduce himself, he would say, my name is Seymour. I'm from Jamaica, Clarendon, Beckford Crawl. He wanted everyone to know. He taught us stories about the great Jamaican heroes like Nanny Maroon, Sam Sharp, Paul Bogle, Marcus Garvey, and of course, Bob Marley. He was also extremely proud to be an African. He, understand his, he understood his history. And so he would tell us stories of great African kingdoms. And he, both my parents actually wanted us to know that we were both Jamaican 
and African, and we were to be super proud of both of those identities. To be honest though, as a child, I found this a bit confusing. Um, some of you may know, it's definitely not as bad as it is now, but in the 90s when I was in school, there was this huge culture clash between Caribbeans and West Africans. Caribbeans were seen more as like the cool kids, right? And it was a bit more serious than the whole planting, plantain debate. For those of you who are unaware, this is what Caribbeans would call a plantain. If you're from West Africa, you would say plantain. And for some strange reason, this has caused untold debates, heated debates, all across the UK between Caribbeans and West Africans. And I wanna go on record and just say, it's just not that deep. Anyway, as I was saying, in school, Caribbeans were the cool ones, the cool kids, and oftentimes would bully and name call our African classmates. One time, a boy in my class was yeah, being extremely rude and just cussing one of the African Nigerian students in my class. And I pulled him aside and I was like, why are you saying that? He is black, we're black, we're all African. And he said, no, we are Jamaican, he is African. And I said, yeah, and Jamaica is in Africa. Now, obviously, I know that's not the case now. I went back to my dad and asked him and talked to him about this and he helped me with my geography. And then he said to me, they, meaning the Jamaicans, they say things like that because they don't know their history. They've not been taught that we are all from one people. Wise words from my late father and I would extend that by saying that racism or ethnic boasting happens when we don't understand our history. That 2000 years ago, Christ died on the cross. And when he did that, he broke down the dividing walls of hostility between Jews and Gentiles, slaves and free, men and women, making those who believe in him united in him, one people, not by works, but by his blood and by our faith in him. Before I am anything else, my truest, most important part of my identity is that I am a child of God who loves me so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for my sins. When I was 11, I started to go to the Caribbean church that my mum and her family were raised in and my grandma attended. Um, we were all from the Caribbean, different islands in the Caribbean. And I mean, we had a similar shared experience. We weren't exactly the same though. Any Bayesians in the house or at home? Why do you guys drink Morbi? I remember on one occasion, people from all the different islands bought different drinks and foods. And I tried Morbi and I was absolutely horrified by what it tasted like. And then in that same occasion, one of the brothers from St. Kitts and Nevis came to me with my beautiful plate of ackee and saltfish and said, what is that? The point is, we were all from the Caribbean, but we still had differences. We just had shared experiences, which made church life 
easy. When I was 16, something happened that triggered a change in my perspective. As a church, we went to a global day of prayer held in one of the big London stadiums. It was a sunny day and I walked in and there were thousands of people. And I was shocked by what I saw. There were West Africans dressed in their finest regalia, beautiful bright colors, huge geles. Oh, it was amazing. There were Asians and Indians and people from South Asia celebrating and worshiping God, banging on banger drums and worshiping in their own languages. Fantastic. There were Chinese and East Asian believers worshiping God, praying together. But by far, the most shocking thing was about 80% of the people in the stadium were white. My mind was blown. I just not realized that white people love Jesus, to be honest. It was not part of my experience. I didn't know any white people that went to church. I'd met one or two, but I thought that Christianity and faith in general was a black thing. That was a part of my journey of God teaching me that if he was God, if he was God of all the people throughout all time, he was not just the God of the people in my very small Caribbean church. This set me on a journey of discovering the multifaceted, multicolored nature of God's people and his church. Over the last 15 years, bit by bit, God has been helping me on this journey. And there have been moments that have been really, really difficult. And to be honest, still are. Wrestling with Europeanized and Eurocentric versions of Christianity, dealing with the pain caused by knowing that British and European churches were heavily involved in the slave trade, knowing how the word of God was used to justify some terrible things that happened during the transatlantic slave trade and colonialism is difficult. I know for me that there are many times when it feels like my faith identity and my flesh identity are in conflict with each other. And in those moments, I have to really lean into God to help me and to take me on a journey of healing, as well as finding ways to restore. I became a member of King's in 2015. About a year in, I read um, Steve's book, Good to Grow. The night that I finished reading it, I was getting ready to go to sleep and I felt a prompting of the Holy Spirit. I felt like Holy Spirit was saying to me, Faria, if you wanna stay in this church, if you wanna be a part of this people, you're gonna to have to do the continue the work of working through some of the pain and difficulty around racism. I had been taught and I know that it had been really difficult for me to trust white leadership and white male leadership in um, even more so. And so that night I processed with the Holy Spirit, went through some of the difficulties and pain that I was feeling. And I wrote Steve a letter and I was brutally honest. I said, being here 
is sometimes difficult for me because of the history and the legacy of racism and because I find it difficult to trust you as a white man. I was honest. The next time I saw him, he was so gracious. He gave me a big hug. He thanked me for being honest and he thanked me for staying. I bring this up for two reasons. Firstly, I do, I wanna honor Steve and his response. There are many people who would dismiss that, who would dismiss that because they didn't understand that as their experience, but he didn't. He decided to listen. And even if he didn't fully understand, I felt like I was heard. And since then we've engaged in many conversations around this. It was the time that God really started to help me to trust someone who represented those who were not to be trusted. Secondly, I bring this up because I wanna make it clear that this process is painful and it's challenging, but many things in life that are worth it are. You might not be able to tell, but I am six months pregnant with my first child. And it is uh, at times very challenging um, thing. It's painful, it's uncomfortable. And I, I'm just gonna say, it, I don't like it. I love the baby and I love the idea of what will happen, but I don't like the process of pregnancy. And one night I couldn't sleep uh, because of the discomfort and pain. And I remember going into my living room, trying not to disturb my husband, and just crying out to God, why? And I felt Holy Spirit simply say to me, Faria, you prayed for this. You wanted a child. And this is the process your body has to go through in order to, for it to happen. Then the scripture found in Hebrews 12 verse two came to mind. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. There are many of us here who have been crying out to God for him to move and bring racial justice and true reconciliation to the church. Some of us would say, this is really uncomfortable. And others would say, this is excruciatingly painful and it's taken a long time. And I don't know if I can do this. And I believe God would say this, you prayed for this. And this is the process the body of Christ has to go through in order for it to happen. It is the joy set before us as a community that we continue to endure the discomfort and pain that comes with take, talking about racism so that we can show that we are a people that may be different in our expressions of worship but are undivided and united in one faith. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that you are the healer of hearts, that you know us all and that you know the steps that each and every one of us must take in order to continue in this conversation. I pray for the grace of the Holy Spirit to move and to minister to each and every one of us. 
I pray this in your mighty name. Amen.